Welcome to Fireside Chats with Reverend Iron Kim, hosted by me, Abby, and produced by Grace Presbyterian Church of Silicon Valley. Hey there, Iron. How's it going today? It's going great, Abby. How are you? I'm good. What do you think of that theme song? You haven't heard its debut before. I love it. Yeah, Iron told me that he would do this podcast only if it had this theme song. So I've worked it in for him. Thank you, Abby. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) You accommodated me. (laughs) Uh, All of your whims. So many needs. Well, we are back with our second episode of Fireside Chats with Iron Kim. As you remember, these are inspired by FDR's Fireside Chats from when, Iron? Long time ago. A long time ago. Long time ago. But we thought it would be good to do something like that just to keep up and talk about spiritual life during Corona. So, Iron, what do we want to talk about today? What did you have in mind? Well, I figured on the heels of our last podcast and the idea of waiting on God, why not talk about prayer? Because that seems to dovetail nicely with the last topic, because part of waiting on God entails some sense of how do you do that? And part of that is actually in prayer. And I know this is a topic that many people have lots of questions about, thoughts about, things we struggle with regarding prayer, and I think it's worth discussing. Okay, so last week we talked about waiting on God, and prayer is sort of being framed as a strategy for something we do in that time of waiting. Yes, you put it really well. That's a good way of thinking about how prayer functions within our topic from last week. All right, prayer. I like it. There might be embarrassing things about my prayer life that come up during this podcast. That's exciting. So tell me as a pastor, when you think about prayer and people come to you and say they're having trouble with prayer, what kinds of things are they usually dealing with? How do you even divide prayer up into different things to talk about? Usually people just say, pray, you should pray. Yeah, and I think part of it is prayer feels like something we should be able to figure out how to do. I should be good at this, but I'm not. Hey, I'm praying, but it feels like nothing has happened. Why is he silent? Is he listening? Am I doing this right? Am I lacking faith? All of those kinds of questions are bubbling up as we try to practice prayer. We really need to kind of hunker down and add this into our spiritual life if we haven't already and hope to grow in it and cultivate it. Mm -hmm. In terms of spiritual gifts left on the table, I feel like prayer is one of the big ones that I don't take advantage of often enough. I don't recognize the gift that it is. But I identify a lot with the people you're talking about. I have questions about my strategy. Am I doing this right? I have questions about my motivation. Is my heart right behind this? And then I have questions about efficacy. Lord, I've been praying. You haven't done anything. So am I doing it right? That seems like it's going to resonate with a lot of people. Well, I hope so. But hopefully that spells out why I want to talk about this topic in light of waiting on God. Mm Mm-hmm. That makes sense because there's very few things you can do while waiting. By definition, waiting is sort of doing nothing, but this is one thing that we really can do. Yeah, and it's something you can do when you're alone. You can do it in a group. It takes so many different forms and so many different ways you can go about it. So let's talk about all those things. Woo, we're excited. So Iron, why don't we start with the personal stuff? Again, you're a person. You're not just a pastor. Where in your life has prayer come up? 
I go back to a moment in my life that I've talked about before in sermons and other places that is deeply personal to me. But uh, for those of you who don't know, I had cancer as a child in middle school, bone cancer in my left arm and the left humerus to be specific. And it was a three-year period of my life as a very young Christian faced with lots of questions related to things like mortality. Why is this happening? How is this a reality for someone who's a Christian? All those kinds of questions you begin to ask. So in this season of trying to understand my own suffering, I turned to the Bible because that's what I thought you were to do. The fact that you were dealing with such big questions at such a young age and having to turn to the Bible, it's really astounding. When I was in middle school, I was worried about not going to dances. Yeah, that crossed my mind too. So I don't want you to put me in a category where those things didn't matter. You You were a normal, fun-loving teen. I was, I was. And, you know, and it's like sad. Hey, I didn't get to go to school. I didn't get to hang out with my friends. I felt social life stagnating because I had to somewhat shelter in place. I had to be in hospitals. So there was lots of just being alone in those three years between sixth grade and ninth grade, just spending a lot of time in the hospital with a Bible, you just didn't have a whole lot of options. So in those moments, I'm asking big questions of life. Why is it that these things are happening to me? How do I understand that God is with me? Is he? Those were big questions. So Imagine me as a seventh grader, eighth grader, praying for healing, praying that cancer would be removed, praying that I would live or praying that my arm would not have to be amputated. And at the end of it all, knowing that my church was praying for me, my pastor is praying for me, all these people are praying for me, but the end result was not exactly what I was praying for. So for folks at home, maybe some people don't know, what was the end result of that prayer journey? I ended up having a full amputation of the left arm. So the answer to the prayers of Lord heal me was, okay, you are healed. Not exactly in the way that you thought you were going to be healed. But in retrospect, I think about that season and it's like, no, God did answer my prayer. He met me in that and he brought this transformation in my life, because that was a season of deep personal growth for me and trying to understand who I was, who God was. One of those things I wouldn't trade. I wouldn't want anyone to go through what I went through, but it was a time of understanding the gospel in a profound way. Without that experience, would you have been a pastor? It does seem remarkable that at such a young age, you were already thinking about things like that. I've thought about that a lot as well, and I actually think this is such an integral part of my growing as a Christian. I just don't know if I would have went on this path toward ministry apart from it, honestly. So you felt like your prayers were answered looking back, not in the way that you'd imagine, but that God did something fruitful and good through those prayers. Did you feel that way when you were 13 and you're going to high school without your left arm? Um, actually I did because I lived. I was at a point where I felt like, no, you know what? I think I'm ready to not have an arm. It was kind of a liberating point. So it was okay. High school brought about other challenges because you're self-conscious. Again, I had to figure out, all right, um, who am I? How does God see me? How do I deal with all of my insecurities around who I am and how I'm perceived? Those were also times of being stretched 
as a Christian and as a human being. Mm, yes, I had a very bad haircut in 10th grade, and I credit my spiritual life to that episode of my formation. It's like those small things, you know, if I want to call it a small thing, and I'm sorry if I'm minimizing your pain mm, there, Abby, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, <laughs> but it's traumatic, you know, and we remember those moments, don't we? It's all part of growing in faith. And going back to the original question, I do feel like God answered my prayer. It just didn't turn out exactly the way I thought he was going to answer it. Were you ever mad at God for not healing you completely, like even healing your arm? I have no recollection of such feelings, believe it or not. The fact that uh, my life has turned out the way it has, I wouldn't trade it for anything. There's a fullness of life that I enjoy, the vocation God's called me into. You know, I'm incredibly grateful. I think at moments, maybe in high school, I might have had those feelings, you know, can I be liked? Or would people be interested in someone who only has one arm? Wondering if people will like you, will be your friends. And I'm sure I've had my dark moments along those lines. But overall, I don't have any negative recollection feeling like I was deeply disappointed by God. Okay, that is incredible. So redirecting to prayer. How do you pray? I mean, do you take a class in seminary on how to pray? I don't remember a class on prayer. I really don't. And I've tried so many different things, Abby, over the years because it's hard. I'll be honest with you, as a pastor, it is not easy for me. Sometimes I struggle deeply. I grew up in a Korean-American church with this thing called the dawn prayer meeting where people get up and go to church at 5.30 in the morning every day and you pray for like 45 minutes and then you go off to work. Is that why you don't work at a Korean church, Iron? Because you don't want to get up at 5.30? <laughs> no, because I couldn't do it, Abby. That's why. <laughs> mm, yeah, that sounds brutal. Yeah, it's it's a hard thing. And recognizing that that's a tradition I grew up in, always feeling like I'm not actually good at this. There are lots of people who are good at praying, but I'm terrible at it. And now I'm in ministry, so I've tried all sorts of different things over the years on how to <laughs> pray, when to pray, what works for me. And I'm still trying different things along the way. But let me tell you what I'm doing now. How's that? Okay, that sounds good. Skip the montage of all the variations. What works, Iron? What works for me, and this doesn't mean it works for every single person, but I try to pray in the morning before anybody else is up in my house. I do the Book of Common Prayer from the Church of England because I'm one of these people who needs structure. I don't do well when there's no structure, but that's me. So that's where I start. But during the day, I'll get an email or a text or have a conversation with someone. And in that moment, I may have my eyes open because I'm walking down the street, but I will just mentally be praying for that person, that situation. That's a daytime prayer regiment I have as I go through my day. That sounds more like pray without ceasing, the Bible verse that says, you know, you need to always be praying. And I feel a lot of pressure when I read that because so often I'll say, I'll pray for you or let's pray about that all the time. I sometimes get around to it, but I've tried to stop saying it because I realize, uh oh, when I get to heaven and Jesus holds the list up of all the people I said I would pray for, it's going to be a little awkward. So I like that. I want to ask more about the liturgical kinds of prayer you're talking about. Is that the right word? Why is that important to you? Or what do you think it adds? 
Well, number one, I'm lazy if I don't have structure. So I'm not going to pray. It suits my personality. But what I enjoy about the Book of Common Prayer is sometimes I don't feel like I have words, Abby, for the things that I'm feeling or wanting to express. I'm not a wordsmith. I'm not that good at these kinds of things. And it helps me because it gives me words as I'm reading a psalm. It gives me also categories. So there's a section that will say four needs of the world or those suffering or the persecuted church. It gives me categories I would otherwise skip. That's part of what I like about it. I've heard that from other people too. I've always felt kind of boxed in by liturgical things, but over the years of working at Grace, I've started to love them for those same reasons. For me, I'm a very emotional, nay, hysterical prayer sometimes. <laughs> I tend to wait until things really get dramatic and then just pour out, which it's a different kind of prayer. They're both good. I think the daily workout of the day prayers are important and the marathon prayers are important. Both need to happen, you know, and mm-hmm. sometimes people feel like unless they feel so deeply connected emotionally to their prayer, that somehow it's insincere or God's not going to listen to you unless it's at that level all the time. And as beautiful as it is, I don't want to wait until I feel like praying because then I found myself praying very little or very infrequently. So when you're talking about these daily prayers that maybe in the moment feel rote, what is that added spiritually? What has been the fruit of that? I think the consistency adds something to my own heart I go back to understanding, hey, God is in charge. God is actually at work in our world. I'm reminded that he sent his son in order to usher in his kingdom. And part of participating in his kingdom is to be in prayer because he invites us to be a part of what he does. There's a line that Blaise Pascal said that I often go back to when I preach on prayer. He likens prayer to an invitation by God to causality. He gives us this dignity to participate in his kingdom work. And part of that is praying. So this regular rhythm I do is a reminder for me of that truth. So going back to our broader topic of waiting, I mean, everyone is waiting right now. Shelter in place feels almost like indeterminate waiting. What do you do when you're praying every day and things don't seem to be happening, don't seem to be moving. You keep praying. I mean, I I hate to say it, but it's true. That is not what I wanted you to tell me. I'm sorry. But it really is an aspect of trusting that God is wise, that he is good, and that while we cannot see what is taking place here, his kingdom is leaking into our world, and it's coming, and it's here, but not yet fully don't go to God in prayer thinking he's some sort of cosmic vending machine that if we bring the right payment option, perfectly emotionally attached prayer, that our lives are so pure, that's what's going to cause him to listen to our prayers. We'll get what we want. That's not what God tells us prayer really is. So you're saying even when it feels like our prayers aren't answered, that doesn't mean something's wrong with our prayers? No, I I think we pray imperfectly all the time. You know, when Jesus prays, he also tells us to approach God as our father. And think about how kids come to parents. They come asking for things all the time. Oh my goodness, kids are demanding. 
right? They're hard. And often the job of the parent is to say no out of their own protection, right? It's like, should a kid be allowed to go, I don't know, ride their scooter in the street? And no parent would say that's a good idea. You know, it's like, you got to have some boundaries here. (laughs) And it's the job of the parents that says, no, you don't get to play with the kitchen knife. I'm going to take that out of your hand. It's just kind of what parents do. Yeah, I think there have been times in my life where I look back at my prayers and I think, whoa, I am so glad God didn't answer that one. It would have been disaster. But then there's other times when I pray for something really good. And I have a hard time with those prayers. I wonder, is it because of sin in my life? The Bible says powerful are the prayers of a saint. And I think, well, I'm not a saint. Maybe that's why my prayer doesn't seem powerful. That really is one of those questions of, How come God doesn't answer some of these prayers that are meant for good things? And I I go back to my example of praying for healing. No one's going to say that's a bad thing. God actually calls us to do that. But the way he answers, I think, tells us something. Let's give an example. Um, Praying for a job that's going to allow me to have all of the wealth I ever wanted so I could live the life I want in comfort And God, I also want to be generous with my money. So that's my goal. Mm -hmm. Maybe God doesn't answer that prayer because he knows that that would be bad for us or it would definitely be bad for me. All Um, the coffee you would buy. Oh, no doubt. Or all the different espresso machines I'd have in my house that are, I'm trying to figure out which one's the best one. Yes. Squalor. Yes. You know, and there's a line from James chapter four where he says, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. And it's almost as if God is saying, okay, sometimes the no is because, hey, this is not going to be good for you. Sometimes God didn't say no, but he's just telling you to wait. That seems to be a big one, which is hard for us because the only way we can perceive that sometimes is that's just no, because I didn't get it in my time frame. But it's possible that God's saying, wait, you know what? I want to give that to you, but this is just not the right time. Yeah, that's true. And that's a thought that's brought me a lot of comfort over the years. As you know, Iron, I lost my cousin, Jessica, in the fall, and she and I grew up together and, you know, she died of cancer. I prayed. I I thought my whole family prayed very hard for her to live. And that was a really strange time in my prayer life because it was clearly a good prayer. It clearly was not for myself. And yet God didn't answer but yeah. one of the thoughts that did bring me a lot of comfort is that in the end, I know he will answer that one. I know I will see Jessica. She will know life. She will live. It's not that that prayer was unheard. Right, right. So these are the hard things. And I just, I have a very negative reaction when people want to think about themselves in this way is God's not hearing me because I did something wrong. And that is the main reason. It's complicated. Sure, there there are things that, are related to... um, Sin. Yeah, it could be sin. It could be uh, maybe bad motivation. It could be related to lots of things. But the gospel actually tells us we come to the Father not because of our merits or how well we've done, but he says, come. Jesus says, come and call out to your heavenly Father. He's not there as a boss. He's not there with a ledger. But if you're in Christ, we come boldly with our requests ill-formed as they are, selfish as they are, crying out to God and saying, God, I want to connect to you. And that's essentially what prayer is about. So when you're thinking of places in Scripture, you mentioned James 4. Are there other places 
where scripture really speaks to you about prayer, kind of guideposts in your prayer life? One of the passages for me that I've really gotten into is Revelation chapter 8. There's this beautiful scene, and I got this from Eugene Peterson's book, Reverse Thunder. And Abby, you know how much we enjoy Eugene Peterson. Oh, Uh, Iron loves Eugene. (laughs) David do. The whole book is about prayer and, and a praying imagination. And he shows us out of Revelation 8, this beautiful image of the prayers of God's people going up to heaven in this censer. Uh, it's like incense that goes up to heaven. It goes before God. The whole heavenly realm is absolutely silent as God hears these prayers and they're flung back onto the earth, meaning God hears and he acts on it. And I found that to be so comforting and beautiful. My prayer actually goes somewhere, goes up to heaven, because these are things that God wants to hear from us. So that's always deeply comforting because I'm not just praying out into nothing. And when you say flung back onto the earth, you don't mean in a rejection way. You mean in a transformative way. Exactly. So... Flung back sounds like God was angry and threw it back, but I don't think that's what it means. But it means that somehow God is hearing these prayers and he is saying, I am answering you and I'm meeting you here. Another thing that I think we have to consider in praying is prayer actually is meant to change us. The relationship with God that gets built through prayer, you begin to see yourself more accurately And your prayer begins to shift because you start realizing, okay, this doesn't really line up all the time with God's kingdom values. And you you begin to realize my ambition for the world and for myself is starting to shift ever so slowly to be more aligned with God. And I think that's one of the things that God's after in our prayer life. Mm, That prayer doesn't just change circumstance. It changes us and our hearts. It changes us. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So for folks at Grace Prez right here, right now, who are praying during the time of coronavirus, what would you say to them? There's so much to pray for these days. Whatever you do, don't complicate it. Keep it simple. Keep it consistent. Find a rhythm for yourself that works, but never feel like I can't pray unless I pray in a certain way with flowery theological language, because I think if you have that as a bar for yourself, and I've done this many, many times for myself, it's actually hurt my prayer life. Your God is your heavenly Father who wants to hear from you. As you cry out in your disappointment, in your frustration, praise God in your joy, pray for other people. God's promise is He is going to be there. Surely He is with us always. Earlier, you also mentioned the book, Reverse Thunder, by Eugene Peterson. You mentioned the Book of Common Prayer. Anywhere else that you would point people as they're learning more about prayer? Yeah, the Book of Common Prayer is actually free and available online. I actually use the app on my phone. The app. Wow, the Common Prayer app. Yeah. The other thing I encourage people to look at is if you are interested in reading about how to pray in an accessible way, Paul Miller's book, The Praying Life, is, I think, one of the best introductions, easily accessible. I've been really encouraged by that book, and I recommend it to everyone who asks me about prayer. Excellent. I have a lot of Netflix to get through right now, but once I'm done with those shows, I will read this very important book on prayer. (laughs) 
okay well thank you iron we will see you next week for another fireside chat and thank you grace prez for listening thank you abby this is fun (laughs) catch you later iron Thank you.